today's sermon is uh, kind of titled, You Asked For It, Because You Did. Last week, after our sermon, we said, hey, we want to know what you would like us to teach on, us slash me, this week. Um, and so we had, a po- and we had a way for you to submit some topics and questions. There's a few things that I learned. One, we have some hilarious people in our church, uh, or people that think they're hilarious. So, it was, so we got some really good, unhelpful questions that I enjoyed reading. I also learned that we have some people that are just extremely faithful and sincere and asking amazing questions. And uh, so today's text, we, today's uh, sermon is kind of pulling together some of these questions and themes that, that we could pull together. But what's great is now we've kind of had this trove, this treasure trove of opportunities where we had these one-off Sundays where we know kind of what the questions our people are asking. So if your question didn't get answered today, know that it's still there. Also, we don't have to wait till Sundays to talk and work through this. So the question that we're going to cover today is how does God speak to us today? How does God speak to us today? And the questions that we got that kind of fed into this, one was how do I know that God is leading me toward a decision? Related to that, how can I know if I am hearing God, Satan, or my own thoughts? Right? That sounds familiar, that, that argument. Like, okay, how do I know? This all seems good, but it could be a lie. It could be my own desires. I don't know, right? How can I be led by the Holy Spirit? And then I want to know more about prophecy in the Holy Spirit. So those are the questions that kind of went into us saying, okay, well, this is what we're going to talk about this week. Um, How does God speak to us today? So before I go any further, let me pray for us, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll see. So God, uh, we love you. We thank you for a place to gather in your name. We thank you for a place to come where it is safe, regardless of where we are, what we believe, what we think. This is a safe place to ask questions. This is a safe place to doubt. It's a safe place to hurt. And it is a place where uh, your truth will be made known, God. And we, uh, we trust, Lord, that your grace is sufficient, that Jesus is the hope of salvation for all of us. And, Lord, that in him we can know your truth in him. We can know you in him. We can be known by you. And uh, because of Jesus... We have hope, life, and a future. So, Lord, we give you this time. Lord, open our hearts and our minds. Lord, uh, let this time be productive for your glory and our good. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come in and catch these words of fire in our hearts and our lives, and that it wouldn't be just something that we nod our heads at in here, but would be something that transforms us more into your likeness. So, God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, um, you know, thinking about you know, why we would ask, does God speak to us today? How does God speak to us today? There's a lot of really great and sincere reasons that we would ask this type of question. And, you know, just think, we want to know God. We want to know that he's real. We want to know that he's there. We want to know that we can know him and that he can know us. We want to experience God. We want to make the right choices. We want to please God. We know that as followers of him, we should desire to please him because he's worthy. We know that this world is, is heavy. It's broken. It's hard. And we need comfort, and He is our source of comfort. We need courage in this world. We need courage. We're called, we're called out. We're set apart in Christ. We're set apart for His holy purpose. Therefore, we are countercultural in this world, and therefore we are often against the grain. So we need courage. And in the, the day, prayerfully, the number one driving motivation is that we want to glorify God, and we know that we need His help to do so. So 
as it was last week, uh, this is another kind of thematic, topical uh, message. Typically, again, at the bridge, we, we teach more through books of the Bible. We'll start teaching through Romans in September. Uh, fun fact, uh, starting next week for the next three Sundays, Kurt Kiefer, Dave Tenhaven, Keith Legrone will be teaching a series on baptism and communion. Did you know that, Keith? Just kidding. He did. He was part of it. Um, but yeah, so exciting, exciting times. But this week, this week is another kind of thematic uh, message where we're answering this question, but we are absolutely going to base it in Scripture, and you will see this because there is a ton of Scripture. And so I, as much as I love having our Bibles open, I would say you will keep up a lot better if you just kind of depend on what's on the screens because we'll be, we'll be going to a lot of Scripture, so you, you'll have a hard time keeping up. If you want an anchor verse, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 is a great anchor verse uh, for today. So, uh, follow along. Even though we're not teaching through a text, our answer comes definitely from Scripture. So, before we answer the question of how God speaks to us, I think we should answer the question, does God speak to us today? Does He speak to us today? The answer, we'll just go ahead and go ahead and give it to you. Anybody want to take a guess? It's an unequivocal yes. Absolutely. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So yes, he speaks to us today, and I am obviously starting with some assumptions. You know, I don't want to I don't want to, I'm starting with assumptions, although I don't want to assume we all come in here at the same place, right? Uh, but I am starting with assumptions. One is that there is a God, because if we're going to answer this question, we have to assume there's a God. Does God speak? Well, that assumes that, yes, he exists. So there is a God. Um, also, we're assuming that there is a base understanding that must be sought. There's always, you know, when we ask another why, yeah, but why, yeah, but why, at some point you have to get to an authoritative answer. And so for us, that authoritative, the ultimate authority to this question is the Word itself because we, our conviction believes is that it is the Word of God, as we will see in a moment. So therefore, the Word carries the authority of God itself, and, he is, and if He is our holy, sovereign Creator, there's no authority greater than Him. Therefore, the Word is our authority on the way God speaks. Okay? So that's another one of our assumptions. Um, the Scripture because we understand this, we can look at uh, how we get to this understanding at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, correct, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, as I said, if God is the one true God who is the holy and sovereign creator of all things, there's no greater authority other than himself. And then our last assumption is that Jesus is God as well as our way to God. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, referencing Jesus, just as we just saw in 1.14, the Word became flesh, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So these are our base assumptions that we're working off of that we have come to with great confidence because Scripture has made it very clear. So what we must remember is that God is not some far-off, uninvolved God. And this is key. He is our God that loves us deeply and gave, gave 
of himself at great cost to restore a relationship with you and me. So if we want to understand how God speaks to us today, it is foundational and fundamental and ultimately important that we understand that God is a relational God who gave all of himself in Christ, moved heaven and earth for you to be restored into relationship because in our sin, all was fractured. So he worked to overcome that fracture, to make us complete once again, to reconcile us into that relationship with him. And so our posture when we ask this question must be one of relationship because God is a relational God. He is our heavenly Father as well as our holy God. God is a relational God. Can I just stop and pause and allow you to let that sink in for a minute? God is a relational God. He loves you as his own. He created you out of love for his glorious purpose. He gave all he had so that you could be restored. So for the next few minutes, we'll answer these two questions. How does God speak to us today? And how can we understand and discern the ways God speaks to us and leads us? So first, to think about how God speaks to us today, we have to look at how he spoke to his people in the Old Testament. So primarily, again, we don't have the time to go through all of our biblical history here uh, verse by verse, but, uh, but just to say primarily what we see all throughout the Old Testament is that God spoke through the prophets, through the prophets. The role of the prophet was to be the mouthpiece of God. It's the thus saith the Lord. The Lord, the Lord has spoken. Their words were not their God's leading them crafting. It was as if from the mouth of God. The Lord, thus saith the Lord, the prophets heard from God and they spoke to the people the word of God. As we already read in Hebrews, the day of the prophets has passed. And this is a big question, but we can say that because of the full glorious revelation of Jesus Christ, as Hebrews 1 pointed us to. So when we think about the grand narrative of Scripture, you know, from Genesis all the way up through Malachi, and then it comes Matthew through Revelation. I don't know if you know this, but as far as history goes, Malachi was the last prophet, the last time that God has spoken through the prophets. And then what happened before Jesus? Does anybody know about how long it was where there was a time of silence through the prophets where the people of God heard from God no more? Anybody have a number? 400 years, right at 400 years. So you got to think, like, as far as the narrative goes, and you think about the, the arc of a narrative, right? And just before the payoff, just before their resolve, there is a climax. And so if we're thinking about the narrative of God and God working and delivering his people, and these people are, are getting worse and worse, and all of a sudden the prophets go silent, it's as if God wanted to make it abundantly clear and, and, and inescapable to miss to say that I am doing it in a whole new way. And all of a sudden, Jesus the Messiah, Emmanuel, God become flesh, God with us, burst on the scene. And as we saw in Hebrews, He, He is the one in which God has spoken in these last days. The one who has been appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So to make it really obvious, to say, to say that, so to see the time of the prophets, God working in that way is past because the full revelation is come in Christ. So let me take just a moment to speak to the role 
of the gift of prophecy today. And I mean just a moment, and it's much bigger than a moment. But the role of the prophet was to proclaim the truth or message of God to his desired audience. No different today. There's still a need for that. It's still necessary, right? I mean, like, we're finite people. Our understanding is limited. Our knowledge is fleeting, right? So we, we, need, we need someone who is led by God to proclaim his truth to his people. But yet, as opposed, as opposed to it being what it was, where thus saith the Lord, now it is the role of those with the gift of prophecy to come to the truth and proclaim, led empowered and empowered by the Holy Spirit to impart the truth in the revelation that is already given. So there's still the work of, of, of those coming on behalf, inspired and led by the Holy Spirit, rooted in Scripture to proclaim the truth of God, but yet the full revelation has been given. Maybe you've heard the phraseology, the canon is closed. God has given all of his word, all of his truth, and now he is working through his people, those who he has gifted through the Holy Spirit, to teach and proclaim and to call out. So he's not giving any new revelation apart from his word, scripture, because the word has become flesh. It is complete. So that'll thread through the rest of our talk. So how about today? How about today? So as we already stated, the primary way God speaks to you and me today is through his word, right? Let's just read that passage one more time from Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 2 Timothy 3.16, I know we just read these, but I want them to stick. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, the primary way in which God speaks to us today, in which He leads us today, is 100% His Word. His Word. Everything we need to know in order to be saved, to be made more like Christ, is in Scripture. Second Peter 1, 3-4, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So through the word given, through them you may become partakers so what is the work of the Word that it does in us? The Word of God, the truth of God sanctifies us. What does that word mean, right? We are sanctified in Christ immediately upon confession and belief where we are set apart as sinners made saints for God's holy purpose. But yet then we have the lifelong process and journey of being sanctified, being made more like Him. So the Word sanctifies us. It does the work of making us more like God. And if you want to, that's like you think about all, like how much of the question we ask about, of God, and we say, what do you want me to do, God, this or that, this or that, and there's lots of good choices or whatever. Like, how much of that would just be taken care of if we were just being sanctified and we were living out our Christ-likeness more and more every day? And we're not dependent on some, some, some kind of message, but it's just an overflow of who we are, an overflow of being made more like Christ. So the Word sanctifies us as we are with God, we are sanctified. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And just remember this. All of God's revelation, all of his revelatory work is for this. It's for his glory 
It's for that, and it's so that we should know him, that we could know him, and that we would be, be made more like him. All of God's revelatory, revelatory work is for that, for his glory, that we would be able to know him and understand him, and that we would be made more like him. So the word sanctifies. And part of that is, is, is the work of liberating us from sin more and more over time. We're not, again, in Christ, we're no longer condemned in sin, but yet we are still contending with flesh. And the work of being made more like Christ frees us more and more and more. The Word is also a light that guides. Again, we believe, we believe that every bit of counsel we need is in the Word. Again, that, and if you say, We've said this before. If you say, well, if I ask Scripture how much time I should be on my phone versus reading, or how much time I should spend with people versus time alone, like getting the specific questions, how should I act in traffic? Like if you try to get that specific, you may not find your answer, but realizing that God speaks in truths and principles, and when we come to the text in the way that we have learned where we're saying, okay, what was God's intent through this author for these people? And then we can then contextualize to ourselves, we can then come to Scripture in that way and knowing with confidence that the Word is a light that guides. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Maybe you know the song. At lunch, sing it together. So, God primarily leads and speaks through His Word. So we should absolutely be a people of His Word. It should it should. It should be the thread that, that, that binds us in all of our fellowship. You know, we, we come together in these times in our small groups and in our huddles to, to intentionally and, and explicitly to, to look at the Word and apply it to our life. But yet, as people who are transformed and redeemed and it's an identity, prayerfully, that the Word is a, is a topic that we discuss just as we're grateful and celebrating God's faithfulness and we're, we're encouraging one another. We're not just trying to make people feel better in some kind of emotional, psychological way, even though those practical tools may help. We're actually also trying to administer grace through the Word by exhorting each other in the Word. So we should be people of the Word, one, for our own health, our own effectiveness in, in kingdom ministry of making disciples, and then two, to be whatever we, if we want to be of any benefit to anyone around us, that's the only real benefit we can bring is the word, the ministry of the word through us. So we should be people of the word. God also leads through our circumstances. He also speaks through our circumstances. Events happen to us to lead us to him, to direct us, to change us, and to grow spiritually. James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Romans 8, uh, Romans, yeah, 8, uh, for all things work for, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Again, I, I love a conversation, I think I've mentioned this before too, but I, that I had with with Megan Reedy in, in, in our trip to Italy on our mission trip. And we're talking about something. She's like, I really just think God wants me to be in this certain situation because it keeps happening and he just keeps teaching me stuff. I was like, no, Megan. It's not that he wants you in that situation. It's that you have actually awoken to the reality that he is sovereign and good in every situation. And you have that posture that come what may, his grace is sufficient. Come what may, God is good. Come what may, my life is his. Come what may, he's working. So you could experience the exact opposite, and yet God would still speak to you because he's done that work in you. And that's the beautiful reality. I think about where Amber and I live now. We live uh, just on the other side of I-10. If you come to Sundays on Sunday, you'll find out today. 601 Walton Street, Houston, Texas, 77009. Okay? 
But where we live, we, well, we, we lived in the north edge of Oak Forest. We wanted to move into Montrose. I'm pastoring a church in Montrose. We're trying to build community in Montrose. We should live in Montrose. We, we preach that. We say, hey, if you can, move in. So it came time for us to move, and we're praying, and we're looking, and we, we kind of have been praying about, okay, Lord, what's important? What do we need to pursue? And we kind of have these parameters. And we found this house, 601 Walton Street, Houston, Texas, 77009. And um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, but we found this house, and Amber fully on board. I loved everything about it except that it wasn't in Montrose. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm the pastor of the bridge Montrose. I'm leading out. Convictionally, it should be well, no matter what it takes, we're going to have a Montrose. And Amber was like, well, you know, Heath, God always leads us in unity. So if you just, if you can't let go of that, if you feel like you need to hold on, then we'll just walk away. And, you know, and, I, and as we were praying through it and talking, you know, as we tried to walk away, the Lord just kept removing this peace. He kept removing this ability to walk away. And I was like, you know, we trust God's sovereignty to provide, so why don't we, like, we were like, okay, so Lord, I'm going to trust you to provide, because we can't figure it out on our own. Our wisdom has met his, its limits, so as best as we understand it, we feel like we are free to, to move towards this house and put a contract on it, even though it doesn't line up with what I expected, so I'm going to trust you to shut the door if it doesn't, if it's not from you. And so we put a con, and, and all that happened was the door got you know open wider and wider. We we put on a contingency bid for less than the asking price. The same day, a person put on a a, a ready full price offer, and they said, "We like you." And they didn't even know us. Why do they like us? But we like you. We're going to accept your offer. Like that doesn't make sense. Like we we, we had a contingency and we were offering less. And they said, no, okay, that's good. We'll take that. Good deal. So, again, like, it didn't make sense from what I thought, but we were at a place where it's like, okay, this lines up with the Word of God. It lines up with how He's compelled us to live. We can live on mission here or there. We can love our neighbors here or there. And we just have this kind of question mark, so we'll just trust it to you, Lord. So, He works and leads in our circumstances. And we'll also see in a minute, I just tipped my hand, He also works through the Holy Spirit, but we'll get there. God leads through our conscience. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So where does our good conscience come from? It's not because you can tell yourself, like there's people that have clear consciences that should not, right? <laughs> our, but our conscience can be, in help, can be a helper because our thoughts are being transformed to think his thoughts if you are in Christ. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God will work through your conscience when you are in unity with him to reveal peace or to take it away. So, keeping moving, God leads, he prompts as the Holy Spirit, it's, he's real. There, there's a supernatural work. As much as we struggle with it because we're not infinite, there is a supernatural work. Take comfort. The Holy Spirit, God has given himself and the Holy Spirit to you, to empower you, to encourage you, to change your motive, to transform you, to assail you. 
as his own. Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, God leads through the Holy Spirit. Again, like the house. From what I had, the work I had done and what I was expecting and my understanding was I was supposed to walk away from the house. And we, and we tried. And I couldn't. Me stepping out to be a part of planting this church, it didn't make sense. I never wanted to be a lead pastor. I've, I've felt called to ministry since I was 19, ministry to the church and through the church. But I never wanted to be a lead pastor. And yet, first off, when they asked me to pray about a Grace Bible, I didn't say no to my surprise. That was like I was a puppet for a minute. God made me say yes. I, should have, like, I typically would have ran the other way. And then I prayed, Lord, I don't want to leave where, where I'm at. Give me peace to stay. My life is yours. That was kind of my prayer. I don't want to leave. Give me peace to stay. Let these convictions be satisfied here. My life is yours. And the more I prayed that, the more clear it came that I was supposed to step away from the security and the family of friends I had. Our entire marriage, our first eight years of our marriage and life together in Houston was in this community of the church I had worked in. And we were like, we're going to set out to having none of that. Like, that's terrifying. I'm in a church that I'm, I'm secure, like they take care of us. And the more I prayed that kind of prayer where I was honest and I was like, I don't want to leave because it's scary and I don't want to do that, but yet my life is yours, the more like I couldn't think about anything else other than this. And God started shaping a vision and a life and, and, and a heartbeat. And that's the Holy Spirit. He was leading. Again, I was doing ministry. I was doing good things. I was doing kingdom work. So it wasn't like, okay, is this biblical, not biblical? Like I was doing kingdom work. All good things. So the Holy Spirit, He leads us. He's real. So you have to believe that. So again, that's it gets hard because it's it's like it's intangible a little bit. We'll come to how we can recognize in just a minute. Also, God leads through wise counsel of godly mentors and relationships. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So seek counsel from those in your life that you can look to. For, for spiritual leadership, whether it be friends, whether it be the, the elders of our church, myself, Kurt, or Hiro, whether it be your group leaders, again, those who God has given you to be spiritual mentors and leaders, and they, they don't have to be a lot older than you, or wait, they just have to be a step ahead in some, some, tr- some way. So, so lean on them. So the reality is this, Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. So, hear this. Well, first off, let's just make sure we're clear. It's all for the glory of God, and we need each other. We need to be people of the Word, and we need to be transformed by the Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and God wants to use us to do that work in one another. Let's just celebrate and think on God just for a second. When God wants to speak to us, nothing can stop Him. He's not constrained. His truth will be made known. His will will be done. So life is that joy promised in Christ. We experience it so much more when we are in accord, when we are humble, submitted, surrendered, and posturing our lives, again, empowered by the Holy Spirit in a way that reflects the heart of God shown in Jesus. God's word, his message will be accomplished. 
But he's an infinite God. His wisdom is limitless. His knowledge is unattainable. We are limited, finite, and our knowledge is fleeting. So obviously it can still be confusing. It still feels mushy and subjective in some ways. So let's work through some ways how we finite people with limited understanding can discern and understand the infinite almighty God. And before we go into this, I just want to say this. Just speak something to you. Grace. Grace. I think if for those of you in here that are Christ followers, I would say it's safe to bet that you're probably way better extending grace to others than you are to yourself. It's just a guess. And I saw some shoulder pats just then, some back rubs, and that probably means that's you. Um, if I was sitting next to Amber, she would have done it to me. But it's safe to say that you're, you're really good at giving grace to others if you've tasted the grace of God in Christ. But you're really bad at giving grace to yourself. So I just want to speak some grace to you. Again, it's a process. Every relationship evolves over time, deepens. You grow in your understanding of that relationship. We're in a a relationship with a relational God. So should we expect anything less? If we were infinite, we could expect something different. But we are finite in this world. So grace, give yourself grace. Be patient. One step at a time, one day at a time, walking with the Lord. So grace. Can we all just breathe grace in just for a minute? So, you're, you know, maybe you think about those around you. You. You get the grace. I get the grace. Let me do it for myself just for a second. I get the grace. Thank you, Jesus. So, here's a beautiful truth. God is for us. We feel like we're asking and he's not telling. And we can believe a lie that he's not for us. We can believe a lie that he's some, some conniving, pranking, tricky God. But he's for us. He's for us. He does not want us to fail. The more we listen to God, the better we will be at distinguishing his voice from the other noises and voices and lies in our head. Coming back to being people of the word. Jesus is called a few things, and he says, I am. There's a few I am statements in John. One of them that is great for right now, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He cares for his flock. So so what does that say to us right here, right now, about how we understand God, how we can, we as limited, finite people can attain the riches of his grace and understanding? Jesus being our good shepherd says this, John 10, 4 through 5, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So again, coming back to where we started foundationally, you need to know Jesus. Not just as the Satan and his, his, his demons do, where they, they know and they shudder at his name, but to where you have placed supernatural trust, you have acknowledged him as the Messiah, your Savior, your Reconciler, your Redeemer, the one who paid your price, who atoned for your sins, who made you righteous, 
who made you stand before a just God is innocent and who has restored you and given you power and grace to live a transformed life, that is first and foremost. You are in Him. And then the more we walk with Him, the more we fellowship with Him, the more we know His voice. Grace. Process. Relationship. Time. Grace. So he's a good shepherd. He, he shepherds his flock. And guess what? The flock is wayward. What does the good shepherd do when a sheep strays? We see it elsewhere. Will, the, will a good shepherd not leave the 99 to go claim the one? So the, even, even the sheep that he loves who are growing in the trusting of his voice still stray. The good shepherd goes and pulls them back in. Does that sound like grace? It does. So Pursue, like, yes, set your heart, your mind, your lives, your eyes, your time to be people of the Word because in the Word we fellowship, we commune in Christ. We learn His voice. One of my favorite initiatives I used to do when I would do camps was I would, we would have uh, people um, and um, we'd pair them up, you know, two by twos, and they would be on opposite sides blindfolded and they had to find each other. And, and sometimes it would just be by their voices and it was cool to see that the, the ones that knew each other before would find each other a lot faster because they'd recognize each other's voices quicker. When I was feeling a little bit more adventurous, I would give them animal noises, and they would have to make animal noises, and that just gave them no advantage at all. But the ones who knew each other prior would always find, them, find each other faster because they could recognize the voices of the other. It was familiar to them. My wife and I, Amber, my wife, Amber, I mean, our communication, it's a process that we learn. It's not just that I, when, she, when she calls, right, and I don't, you know, if I didn't have caller ID, I would know it was her just by hearing her voice. It's not just that. It's actually learning how she communicates. I mean, one of our, I mean, we've been married for 12 years almost, and we're, like, just now kind of having these revelatory things. Wait, it's not just how you say, it's also how you listen. Because we focus a lot on saying it right, but we actually haven't been listening right and learning to listen to each other. And we just had this epiphany six months ago that, that like when it comes down to us trying to work through things, we have different language. Like we were like, we're trying, we're saying, we think we're saying the same thing or, or and we're saying something different or we think we're saying something different and it's actually the same and we ended up in conflicts we don't need to. And we're learning each other. We're learning how to hear each other. We're learning each other's voices. And so again, God is a relational God. He secured that in Christ. We fellowship with him in Christ. And so learning the voice of the shepherd, we will follow. We won't even know. Because right now, in, in the beginning of the transformation, transforming work, the lies sound familiar. The lies are what, what all of a sudden sounds like that's normal. But do you see what it says here in that verse? A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So not only will Jesus' leading, his voice, God speaking, become more familiar, actually the lies will become more obviously unfamiliar, not of God. That's big. That's big. So again, let that one sink in, write it down, something. So we must know Jesus as redeemed and reconciled in him. And then the more we know him, the easier we'll recognize his voice. Sounds obvious. But if you look at our lives, we don't always walk in that. So let's just be reminded. Secondly, the way that we can discern and understand is through prayer. Again, God's a supernatural God. He works in supernatural ways. We have the Holy Spirit. We should be a people who are dependent, and prayer is a posture of dependence. He says, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come, bring, cast all your cares upon me. 
So, you know, he calls us to pray together. So we should pray for wisdom as we see in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. We should pray for God to make his will known clearly. Pray for clarity. Pray for courage. Pray for God to, to make it impossible for you to, to go the wrong direction. Pray whatever you can, as honestly you can, as fervently as you can. Pray in faith without doubt. If you continue reading in James in verses 6 and 7, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like that person. Uh, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Faith is supernatural trust. So even we, we can't, it's a gift from God. We can't muster it up ourselves, but as best as we can, let us pray in faith without doubting. And then just as we were saying a minute ago, be this applies to your prayers too. Be patient in your prayers. We think about our span of life, but God is working in a scope of eternity, and your life is part of his eternal grand redemptive narrative. And our eternal hope is so important for our understanding of our purpose and our meaning in life, and, our, and that's where and that eternal hope feeds also our present hope and purpose. So... <coughs> As we study his word, we see that it's the primary way he, he speaks to us. Um, we must consider the words in the Bible to have the very force of the words out of God's mouth. So again, I've been kind of going back, already kind of talking about this, but we must be people of the word. If we want to understand and discern, we have to study the word. Remember, it is God-breathed. It is good for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scriptures come from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, by, but, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word that we have. This is how it came to be. God speaking through those who wrote. We must hold all of what we understand, our actions, our choices, teachings that we hear, and what we think God is leading us to and saying to us, up to the truth of Scripture. What you are hearing me say today, hold it up against the Word of God. I love Janelle Clark. Where is she? She's in here. I love her because she, she puts my feet to the fire all the time. And like, I remember, and she has, and I can't look at her because she's got this, like, she's always just thinking about what you're saying. And it's like so, like, she takes it seriously. And I can tell, like, it's, she doesn't just nod her head, like, blankly. She's like, she's weighing it all. And then if I ever, do say anything like she'll she's very free to come ask and I and I love it because it's always a posture of humility and love and I'm hopefully this is nothing but love for you like it is wonderful and so I, I hesitantly but lovingly invite you all to adopt that posture because it is <laughs> it is wonderful and terrifying all at the same time but please like we have to hold all that we hear and all that we see up to the truth of God mm. so thank you Janelle Thank you for the example you set. <clears throat> I am a better man, friend, pastor for it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 Hebrews 4 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we hear in that that our thoughts, our intentions, can be wayward, but the truth of the word will always give us a, an anchor of truth. And then also we discern, again, this is what we were saying with prayer, through the Holy Spirit as he leads 
The Holy Spirit is God. God is for us. The Holy Spirit is a divine person with mind, emotions, and will. The Holy Spirit illuminates the truth of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-16. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. This is a long passage, so let's tune in. Uh, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they did, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual gifts, spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. God is for us. He equips us with what we need to do what he wants, to do what his will is for us. God is the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is always with us. I'm not going to go to all these verses. I'll just reference them, and if you need them later, you can come get them from me. But we can see the Holy Spirit's with us, Psalm 139, 7 through 8. The Holy Spirit works to intercede on our behalf, Romans 8, 26 through 27. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to benefit the church for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, and Romans 12. The Holy Spirit fills us, empowers us, overtakes us, Ephesians 5, 18. The Holy Spirit produces Christ-like fruit in us, Galatians 5, 22 through 25. The Holy Spirit never leads us to gratify the flesh, Galatians 5.16, and in turn to glorify God. The Holy Spirit always leads us towards sanctification, 1 Peter 5.8. So there is a spiritual battle in this life, and God has spiritually equipped us. God wants us to know his will and the path to take. He does not hide his will from us. So let me close with some diagnostic questions and an encouragement, okay? So as you are, are navigating this journey of life as a, a, a son and daughter of God, restored in Christ, empowered and called to live out the kingdom mission, and as we seek to understand and know what God is saying and leading us to, here's some questions you can ask as you come up to circumstances, to teaching, to thoughts, to understandings, as you want to hold it up to the Word of God, here's some questions you can ask for discernment. Will following this inclination lead to more Christ-likeness in me slash others and glorify God instead of myself or others? So will it, will it lead me to be more like Christ and to glorify God and those that I'm teaching this to or telling? Will dwelling on this thought produce more of the fruit of the Spirit in me? If it's from God, it will. Because the Holy Spirit illuminates, the Holy Spirit brings that fruit. Are these promptings confusing or vague? God is not an author of confusion, and He brings peace. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14.33. Do the thoughts go against God's Word? 
this really is a great, easy first stop. Because if the answer is yes, you just know right away. You don't have to go through any of this other stuff. You just know it is not of God. It's not what he's saying for you to do or to believe or to know. So if it contradicts the word, it's not of God. He will not contradict himself. Will following these promptings lead to sin? Your own sin or sinning against others or causing others to sin? Following the Spirit aligns us with righteousness. Uh, the other part of that verse we, re- we referenced earlier, Galatians 5, 24 through 25. So we are dependent on the Holy Spirit working to illuminate the truth God gave in His, world, His Word through Jesus. We need each other to encourage each other in the Word daily. This keeps us rooted in God's desire and design instead of ourselves. We need each other for that purpose. We will draw inward. We will become about self. And if we know anything about the posture of the gospel, it is about everything else but self. It is others-focused. And the purpose of God's revelation is always for his glory, our good, and the kingdom work of making disciples of all nations. That's God's motive. He works in that motive as a relational God. So be in awe that he is holy and sovereign. Be comforted and take courage that he is your heavenly father who leads you in relationship. So thinking about all that, we're going to close with this passage, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Wrap your life around that. Hear the rooting of the word, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he's with us always. He's with us always. Let me pray. We'll go into communion. God, we are in awe of you. You are our creator, our holy and sovereign Lord. Worthy of all praise, worthy of our worship, worthy of our lives. You are perfectly just. You are loving. And Lord, you lead us as a heavenly father, a God who is relational. Lord, who, who made a way for us to be restored and made whole personally and relationally to you and all that there is. So God, I pray that we would be a people that earnestly seek you, that we hunger and thirst after you as the deer pants for water. Lord, that each of us individually would have a longing that brings us to our knees and dependence on you and a, and a, a feasting on, on your word and fellowship with you, that, that we would do that with, with grace, knowing that you You know where we are. You know how we are. And you minister to us. You welcome us in just that way. Even when we stray, you call us back. And Lord, that we have the opportunity to walk alongside one another in that. So let us be a people of the word, a people of prayer, a people dependent on the Holy Spirit, a people courageous because of the Holy Spirit in us, and a people committed to your glory in this world and the kingdom purpose of, of proclaiming Jesus, calling people in to be saved, and discipling people to be people of Jesus in this world. So, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.